how did we get here that we feel that we have this culture, that we have this repetitive, consistent enough behavior that you have to talk to people about how to protect themselves from it? How do we get here? What are we doing that people are stealing, quote unquote, right? Taking ideas that aren't theirs. Aren't we all supposed to be here creating? You are listening to Your Unapologetic Career. Being a woman of color faculty in academic medicine who wants to make a real difference with your career can be tough. Listen, these systems are not built for us, but that doesn't mean we can't make them work for us. In each episode, I'll be taking a deep dive into one core growth strategy so you can gain confidence and effectiveness in pursuing the dream career you worked so hard to achieve. All you have to do is tune in to your unapologetic career with me, your host, Kemi Dole, physician, surgeon, researcher, coach, and career strategist for an always authentic, sometimes a little raw, but unapologetically empowering word. I keep it real for you because I want you to win. So I get so many questions along the lines of, ah, how can I work with you? (laughs) You're changing my life and I want more of this. And if you fall into that category and you are a woman of color, faculty member in academic medicine, public health, or allied fields, then just keep listening. Listen, are you building the academic career you want or hard at work checking boxes on everyone else's to-do list? A successful career doing the work you love doesn't mean you have to sacrifice your values, your family, or your joy. Stop trying to be everything to everybody and get to learning the strategies that will 3x your productivity, hone your passions into funded projects, and create the career you worked so hard to achieve. If you've been to every career development and professional development workshop that sounded great, but didn't actually deal with the kind of institutional pressures you face. If you're working hard, but somehow stuck in inefficiency, putting everyone else's priorities first. If you spent years training and sacrificing to become academic faculty, and here you are still working nights and weekends on the projects you care most about, I'm here to tell you that you can walk away from this institutional mindset forever and take control of your career with clarity and strategy. Every day, I help women of color faculty of all career levels in academic medicine, like you, reframe and recreate their academic life so that they can channel their ideas, passions, and skills into grant-funded work with institutional support and sustainability. And that is why this episode is brought to you by Get That Grant, our six-month high-performance coaching program for high-achieving women of color faculty in academic medicine who are ready to reclaim career control and secure grant funding doing the work they love. In Get That Grant, we help you kick imposter syndrome to the curb for good. So you lead your career with clarity and confidence. You learn productivity and strategy skills for grants and papers to maximize your chances of success without wasting your time, abandoning your passion, or working yourself into the ground. We help you build the foundation for an amazing and fulfilling academic career, changing your life and the lives of everyone your work will touch. 
Yes, this future is possible for you and it's waiting on you to make the first step. If you are ready for career success without sacrifice, I encourage you to join our waitlist at kemidole.com backslash grant. After you join the waitlist, you'll be notified when the next Get That Grant cohort will be enrolling. Your application process will include an in-depth career foundations assessment, helping you identify the gaps in your foundation that are holding you back from enjoying the career you work so hard to achieve. No more secret worrying that the career you want isn't really possible. This career assessment will show you exactly where you need to focus to level up your experience and your impact. Join the waitlist today to get in line. Visit kemidole.com backslash grant to sign up. Talk to you soon. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the podcast. This week, I want to talk to you all about stealing ideas, theft in academic medicine and public health. So like usual, huge topic, lots of ways we could enter in. I think I have like just one thesis statement, honestly, for this episode. I think it might prompt a lot of discussion. I'm curious about the things that come up for you all when you listen. But there's kind of like, there's one connection that I want to make. I think I'm interested in adding to the dialogue in a way that I haven't quite seen, maybe articulated as well. So that's what I want to do today. It's like so much of this discussion is out there. There's wonderful people talking about this. There's already been great things written about this. I haven't necessarily heard, you know, this connection that I want to make today with you all. So that's, that's what I'm offering. I'm offering this into the conversation fear, sphere, excuse me. And hopefully it prompts one, maybe some reflection for those that are more further on in their career and some nuance and change into how we might give advice to those who start for starting. And for the, those who are starting, I hope that this inspires even more courage in you. Okay. So when we talk about stealing ideas, I think it's important to think about like the different levels of this. Because stealing is a really strong word, right? Most people are like, ooh, steal. That's very, it's a very aggressive word, right? So, you know, stealing is a crime. So it brings up all of that in us, like, oh my gosh, this is just so wrong, even though it's rampant. And so I just want to acknowledge one thing that somebody told me early on, which I did not want to hear at all, but it's true, which is that nobody owns an idea. You don't, you don't have ownership over an idea. You're a caretaker. You, can, you might be a caretaker for a while of an idea. We don't own ideas. And so there's a lot of conversation about what that means, about how you're, you're careful about when you share your aims, who you have discussions with. I've talked a lot about informed believers. You know, I try to stay positive on the podcast. So like informed believers is helping you filter out everybody who's not, is what I would say. And that can help you think about who you want to share, especially your early, very nascent ideas with. But in general, when I talk about the really harsh version, stealing ideas, I'm putting all of these into a bucket, recognizing that they're different levels. One is like the straight copy paste. So let's just be clear. One is literally, literally the straight copy paste. Like that was on my paper that was in my manuscript that was in my draft. And now it is showing up in your grant. Now, like this intellectual work that I did is showing up in something that you are getting funding for and I'm not in any way involved or I'm so on the outskirts of it. It's basically like I'm not involved. To me, that's like kind of the copy paste where you're like reading multiple paragraphs of your own work. I think another level, I like to think about it as the, the newfound interest in an area that like is using the same terms and the same kind of conceptual thought process 
that you might have brought to the table, right? Or that came somewhere else. So it's like, again, this is like, is it stealing? I don't know. It's not stealing. It's not like somebody's copy pasted paragraphs of your work, but it's like somebody who used to study dragonflies all of a sudden has a new grant in community engaged work in your disease area that's talking about the same three important pillars of the community that you've been writing about or maybe not yet writing about, maybe you've just been talking about them. I should say that more clearly, you know, maybe you've just presented, maybe it's part of something that you're trying to put together. And all of a sudden it shows up as, you know, this newfound interest for somebody else and they're moving forward, getting funding. And again, I think when this really hits, because again, nobody owns an idea, but when it really hits and feels like theft is when you start to see like, these are the terms I was using in my talk. Like these are literally the conceptual ideas I was bringing forth. And now they are showing up in your work and in a way that like doesn't credit me, does not include me. And you're just like kind of taking off with it. So that definitely can have that experience of something being stolen from you, right? Because there's, there was no consideration of engaging you. I think the third thing, which is, I think that this is becoming more and more, it's more and more gray zone. If that wasn't clear is, is, you know, when you see people kind of, I call it kind of taking up space outside your lane. And I would say taking up space outside your lane with the exclusion of the people who built that lane. So it's like, of course, you know, we're going to have more funding announcements and topics that become more interesting, that become more relevant. Like, of course, we're going to do that. Part of the whole reason for that is that we want more people involved in the research because no one of us, like there's not a single one of us that can solve any of the problems that we care the most about on our own. In fact, that's like not a very healthy way to think about it because you will overwork and you'll burn out and honestly, you'll get nothing done. So like, it's not good to think about like, oh, this is only my area. Only I can work in this area. Very bad. Do please do not think that way. But at the same time, there's part of a recognition that's like, hmm, I've built a, put a lot of work and put a lot of effort into this space, into this lane. And then you got people kind of jumping into the lane, taking up a lot of space all of a sudden, like outsized amount of space. And usually that means also all the power. So there's, it's not in a collaborative way. It's not, hey, you have a great idea. I have a ton of resources and money. Let's collaborate. Let's be co-PIs, for example. Or, you know, how can I elevate you so I can bring forth what I've got to support your work further? I'm interested because I want to see this work move forward. How can I bring my resources and stuff to bear, including myself, including maybe my efforts, my writing efforts, but how can I join you in this effort to elevate this work you're doing? Right. Instead, it's like I'm jumping and parachuting into this lane, taking up a whole bunch of space, gobbling up all of the intellectual work that's been done before me and moving ahead as if and, you know, without really engaging any of these people in a meaningful way. Okay, so I just want to say that people might disagree. That's fine. But like I kind of put all of that in this world of stealing ideas. And I know, again, not all of that is theft, because ultimately I'm going to say it again. So y'all don't come in at me. Nobody owns an idea. So technically it cannot be stolen from one person to another because can't own an idea. But when we're talking about this idea of theft, stealing ideas, that was mine. I think all of these things that happen are what show up in those conversations. And so I just wanted to be able to be complete as we get started about these different behaviors and putting them kind of into a spectrum. So I think that these do exist on a spectrum. And my goal on this podcast today is not just to say, oh, this is bad. Don't do this. Hopefully that was obvious from the way I talked about it. But yes, I do want to say, yes, this is bad. This is bad. But I don't want to just say, I want to talk a little bit about how do we get here? How do we get here? Of course it's bad, but how do we get here that we have this field, that we have this culture, that we have this repetitive, consistent enough behavior that you have to 
talk to people about how to protect themselves from it. How do we get here? What are we doing that people are stealing, quote unquote, right? Taking ideas that aren't theirs. Aren't we all supposed to be here creating? Are we all supposed to be here with the excitement of creating new knowledge and moving forward and and tackling problems we care about and new and interesting ways and team science and working together? And yet we're here in this space where you have to really, you really do have to think about these things. And I actually hate that. I, it drives me crazy, but you do. Okay. So I want to talk about the fact that I think part of the reason, one of the links of how we get here, just one, I don't think all, but just one is what we tell our early career faculty. It is the advice that we give to people who get started and what we encourage and how we encourage them in some ways and don't encourage them in others. Early career advice that tells you, you know, the best and most successful way to get started, the way that you need to just go ahead and get your leg up is just take off a piece of your mentor's work to ensure success. I know you wanna do this thing over here you're really excited about, but the best thing to do really is write a diversity supplement so you can add a quote unquote disparities angle to your mentor's grant and do that because that has a really high funding line at the NIH and you'll get successful early and then you can move forward in doing the work that you want to do. Okay. This is in the setting of somebody who doesn't want to do that. For example, you want to study A over here and the advice that we give early career faculty is, oh, you might get rejected. Your grant not get funded. I don't know. That's more risky. So instead of doing that thing, why don't you come over into this lane? That's more of a sure bet and do a slight variation of something that's been done before from your mentor, from this person, from that person. And that way you ensure your success. Start there, do that. And then when you do that, we'll celebrate you wildly. Number two, please do that because we are uncomfortable in supporting very original ideas. So when, we are, when we're working with early career faculty and we're giving feedback and all of that, most of that is geared towards we want to make sure, we want to get you funded, right? We want to support you. We want you to be successful. I get that. I get it. I get it. I get it. Of course, we want them to be successful. There's no point. I mean, part of the point of doing all of this is being able to write successful grants and get funded, of course. But if the advice given in order to do that is basically results in a lack of supporting any original ideas, that everything that it all has to be so baked in and already existing to be able to be supportive because it can't be too risky at the beginning. You can't take too many chances. Then we are not developing people who are creative. We're not developing people who know what it's like to take a risk on their own ideas. So instead we tell them you have to stay in this lane of established work you have to go and try to carve out something just slightly off from that, just a sidestep so you can ensure your success. Simultaneously, we're not giving you the time and space required to actually put your best efforts towards your plan A, which is your original ideas, because we don't want you to fail. We want you to be a sure bet. So we keep holding back from really doubling down on your original ideas and actually giving you the time and space to try and fail and iterate and fail and make it better and fail until you finally succeed. We're not giving you that space to do that. Instead, 
We want you to get on this, this well-worn path highway using somebody else's work, somebody else's ideas, taking a slight little variation to make it yours, prove you're successful, and then you get to go be creative. Then, right? When then, this is so funny, because by the way, for those of you on the parenting class, <laughs> for those of you who might've struggled with tantrums and that tender, the, what do they call it? The incredible years? Ugh, Google it, y'all. You know about the when then. <laughs> when you brush your teeth, then we can read books. Right. Okay. We do this. We do the when then with early career faculty. We say, well, when you get funded doing something you don't care about, then you'll have freedom to invest and and to put your best efforts towards what you do care about. The difference between those, what we tell the kids when you brush your teeth, then you get to read books. And what we tell early career faculty, when you get funded doing something you don't care about, then you'll be able to spend more time investigating your true desires and your plan A and your original ideas. The difference between those two is that in one of those scenarios, it's a bull-faced lie. And that would be the scenario of the faculty. Because when you get funded doing work that you don't want to do, now you have a whole set of expectations on that work that you don't want to do. Now you have a whole set of expectations and we're talking to high achievers, women of color faculty in academic medicine. So you're not, you don't get the luxury of being mediocre in the work that you have just agreed to do that you don't care about. So why is that a problem? One, it's unpleasant. It's unpleasant to have to work hard because you know you have to highly achieve and do well in work that you don't really care about, that you know is not really what you wanna be doing. That is just not a positive day in and day out experience. Number two, it's really inefficient because when you're working hard in something you don't wanna do, you're not actually bringing your best mind. You're using energy to get yourself through it because you don't wanna be doing it. So instead of all of your energy going towards your creativity and your flow and your excitement, instead of hitting the challenges and being like, God, I don't want this to be a challenge, but it's worth it, it's worth it, I love this work. Instead of that, instead you're managing yourself like, oh my God, I really don't wanna do this, but I have to. How can I make myself do this? What are the other things in my life that I can arrange to make this worth it? It's more inefficient. You don't do your best work and you're more inefficient. So you get used to not working at your best. So you get used to late nights. You get used to weekends. You get used to doing things at the last minute because you procrastinate because you don't really want to do them. You don't procrastinate because you're lazy. You actually don't procrastinate because you're bad at time management. That's not why you procrastinate. You procrastinate because you don't want to do it. And you don't want to do it because it was never the work that you came here to do. You're funded on projects that you don't want to do because we tell early career faculty what you need to do is get on a sure bet, do this work that's a sure thing so you can have early success and then you can branch out and do the thing that you want to do. And I just want to let you know that I think that that is so problematic because we take people at the time where they are most enthusiastic, most excited, and I would tell you with appropriate support, actually most resilient, with appropriate support, with appropriate understanding that, listen, we want you to try and fail because when you try and fail, your ideas will get better. So keep going, keep iterating. Keep submitting, keep refining. While you're doing that, start to build more preliminary data. Work over here. We can teach them in those times. We can teach them how to pivot and learn that it's not the end of the world. 
We can teach them all of those things in that time. But instead, you know what we tell them to do? Go get a surefire thing. Go get assumed automatic success here by doing something you don't really want to do, by sidestepping and barely innovating an, of an idea. And then when you do that, we will celebrate you wildly. And we will tell you in all the ways that matter, this is what success looks like. Why are we surprised then? years down the line that we have a problem with people not developing their own original ideas? Why are we surprised that we have a problem with people who as a norm survey the scene, take up space, find other people's work, cobble it together and call it their own? Why are we surprised? When we do this, instead of investing in early career faculty in their originality, instead of expecting failures, early failures so they can translate them into successes instead of giving them the true support they need to learn how, how to get just decimated in a rejection, pick yourself up, pull out what matters, leave the rest, apply it back to your idea, keep going instead of doing that. When we keep pivoting them away to, well, this is the sure bet. This is the sure bet. This is the sure bet. We develop faculty who have an atrophied muscle and creativity. We develop faculty with an atrophied muscle in resilience. We create a norm of touring the field for new ideas and going after where the money is. I think honestly, ultimately, I think this is an aspect of a culture. I'm not saying this about the entire culture. I think we'd have a good debate about this, but this is an aspect of a culture that cannibalizes its young because what the newbies are bringing is all the excitement and the originality. So I don't understand why we would have a system, why we'd have a culture where we take all of that and then we suppress it and push it down and redirect it towards a lack of innovation. Just to say, well, you got funded in the first year. Well, you got funded, like, it drives me crazy. All I want to say is that what I want to offer to the conversation about stealing ideas, what I want to offer to this conversation about people taking up space they don't need to be in about people who have these, this newfound interest in areas where their specific aims page looks a whole lot like a whole lot of work you might have been doing, and yet you know where to be seen on this team. Or better yet, what's happening more commonly now is like you get the email two weeks before the grant is due for your letter of support. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yes, I'm talking to you. Yes. I don't even remember where that sentence started, <laughs> except to say that we have to understand that this is not a culture that just springs out of nowhere. And what I want to offer is that it might be helpful for us to think about what we are actually cultivating in our early career faculty. Are we actually cultivating faculty who can think and create original ideas and try them out and fail and learn how to build a body of evidence? Build a body of evidence to create more and more and more and more opportunities, to build a field together, to build new inquiry together. Are we actually doing that with how we support our early career faculty? Or do we bring them in, tell them about creativity, tell them about innovation, and then all of the advice is arranged along going for the sure bet. This is what success is. So that's what I wanted to share in this conversation. The reason why I hope, hopefully it's obvious why I hope it inspires some of us who are further on to reflect on the kind of advice we're giving. And I think to reflect on how are we intentionally 
intentionally strengthening the skill in our early career faculty of translating original ideas and perspectives into grant funded work? How are we translating that skill for them? How are we helping them with that skill? How are we showing them what it looks like to go from original creative idea to well-formed and supported argument to funding? What does that look like? What specific things do we have in place? Because that is not easy to do. It's not easy to go from, I'm excited, this is what I wanna do, to like, now it's on the page. I talk about this all the time with faculty. The reason why that is such a painful experience is because you're going from like your fantasy in your brain to reality, girls, to like the 3D, you know, meat space we all live in, where we're all walking around as hunks of meat. We're not like in our heads and our ideas. That is a painful process because you come from like where everything's in your head and it all makes sense down to like where it's on the page and only 20% of it makes sense. How are we helping people with that actual process? without stifling the very innovation and originality that is such a gift, that is such a huge piece of value to bringing new people in the field. That ultimately is the thing that we should cultivate the most so that we can all get some new ass ideas so we can actually move our fields forward. So we don't have decades of research on something where we haven't moved the needle at all. So that's what I hope us, I'm including myself in that, mid more senior career faculty think about. For the early career faculty, I hope this inspires you to be courageous because why is it courage? Because I recognize how much the messaging that you might get or the feedback that you might get sounds and maybe explicitly encourages you not to be innovative. And I want you to understand that the work that you are doing right now, the work that feels so hard right now, the going against the grain, the doubling down on what I really want to do, the figuring out that no one's ever, never done this before, that I don't really know how to move forward because nobody around me seems to know what to do. All of that, that hard work, that pushing the boulder up the hill, you are strengthening your muscle of being able to translate your unique perspective and original ideas into tangible, funded work that makes a difference. I know that it's hard. I'm telling you it's worth it. It's not just worth it because you get to see your ideas in the world. It's worth it because you don't create a career. You don't build a career that is based on needing somebody else's ideas. All right, y'all. I hope you have a great week. Take care. I will see you next time. Bye for now. Hello, I'm coming through to remind you that we are starting a listener letter segment on the Your Unapologetic Career podcast. Write in with questions that you have. You can ask me anything. I will decide what I want to answer. You can bring forth challenging situations or suggest topics you might want to hear more about. To do that, you can reach me at podcast at kdolcoach.com. That's podcast at K-D-O-L-L-C-O-A-C-H dot com with your questions. Please note if you'd like to be anonymous and I will always do my best to keep you so excited to hear from y'all.